what I love about it is that you did this for yourself. I always try to talk like when we have our employees that you're never doing anything for nothing. You will have use. And in this case, it took you to the head office and yeah. gave you another position. Yeah. Which you wouldn't have the chance, I'm guessing, to get that position without studying it or without doing it. So you just did it. Yeah, that, that's true. I always think you kind of think you know better than your boss. Then you're ready for it. Yeah. But you also need to be ready. And this comes from, from probably my own experience. You need to be ready for that you don't know half of what he's doing. And that half that you don't know, you will know while oh, you're yeah, doing you will it learn. in that I mean, position. That's, yeah. You will fail and you will learn. I mean, that's how you learn. Yeah. But when you start second-guessing your boss, mm-hmm. you need to do that in a nice way, of yeah, course. Yeah, but yeah. when you start second-guessing <laughs> him, it's like, why aren't we doing this way instead? Or you should be doing that, or I can add this. Then I think you're you're ready for a next step, but you also need to be ready for that. You only know mostly half of what he's actually doing. My name is Innocent Maginga, and you're listening to the Learnability Podcast. For individuals seeking growth, we've created this open-ended exploration into our ability and desire to learn. I guess you could call it a combination of what we know and how we learn. So in conversation with individuals, either speaking from experience, belief or science, we seek to find answers to how to navigate and win in this information age. Welcome, Yoon. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to have you here. I wanted to start off with uh, thanking you for the tickets to, what was it? (laughs) Nordic Business Forum. Yeah, Nordic Business Forum. And Simon Sinek was the, the guest. You weren't able to go, so you offered me the tickets. Thank you for that. Nah, you're welcome. You're welcome. That was, a, that was a dream of mine to see Simon Sinek live. I can imagine. I hope you enjoyed it. It was really cool. <laughs> yeah, I learned a lot, actually. So they had several uh, speakers. And uh, it was a lot on marketing, which is great, of course. Yeah. A lot of new insights on analytics. And Simon Sinek was talking about his latest book, The Infinite Game. Yeah. Is that the name right? Yeah, I think so. The Infinite Game, yeah. So in short, he described the concept. He was talking about business and how businesses with a more long-term and more open approach are better placed to succeed. So he had one speaking engagement at Microsoft and one speaking engagement at Apple. So he told Apple that Microsoft gave me this one product and it's a lot better than yours. And the the CEO or the manager that he was talking to said, well, okay, knowing that, okay, they might have this product that is better, but at the end of the day, we're in it for the long run. The conclusion was that Microsoft had a little bit more of an endgame approach while Apple were more open. We've set a lot of our mindset around business then the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s. Gordon Gecko times. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yes. There's a lot of sport analogies. If you think about it, they reference to a game that has a start and an end and uh, set rules and everyone's playing the same game. But in business, it's not in that way. And that was a good way of illustrating how we need to switch our mindset around doing business. 
Yeah, I think that's it's an interesting concept. I mean, I've been working for Nike for five years. Yeah. And there we were talking about these games, second half and kind of coming back into it and everything. I think every single business meeting, we probably had something, some analogy from games or sport in there. I remember doing numerous presentations myself, starting off with a video from a game or a kind of Chelsea beating Barcelona in a, in a Champions League final or something. And, and I mean, to his point, that is really a narrow way of looking at doing business or, or, or success in any mean. I mean, I, I heard the quote that you were talking about as well from another interview that I did, and it, it paints a picture that if you build something not for kind of just earning the money or just for the end game or for a quarterly results, exactly. that is, yeah. then you will definitely have something to show for in 20 years. And you would relax more. Exactly. You wouldn't be driving the top line. You wouldn't be just after the quick bucks. I think, I think that's, you can see that in a lot of American companies. I mean, we have one that is a big Canadian company that was amazing, just built their own brand, Lululemon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, amazing brand, amazing products. They built their brand and then they went public a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. And since then, they're, they're, they have had issues kind of growing the same pace and doing stuff because they're probably only focusing short term. Short term. And like you said, as a leader, if you had that yeah. short termist approach, I'm thinking about the culture. Yeah, so yeah. You, you miss a lot there. And if you take Lululemon, for example, yeah. uh, the culture within the company, culture with the client, customer. I mean, it, it is different and culture should be about I, I think also that's a modern way of looking at it, that culture is more about people. Yeah. It's more about people, it, it's more about being human, it's more about building great people, mm. helping them to achieve success. And I think compared to if you have this short term, like late 90s, that approach, you're just driving top line and that you're, you're putting your best players on the line and let's go guys. And then when, when your goalie leaves yeah. or when your star forward leaves, yeah. You don't have much of a team to put out there. You have to start from, yeah, the, from the beginning. Yeah, but if you think about the collective and building a culture and more kind of finding the people that really fit into a group so they actually do whatever they feel like and it's just the right thing because they belong, then I think you have that. You will be profitable anyway. I was, I was reading this article in Doggins Industry a couple of weeks back. There yeah. was this article, article about a guy that was building a company in, um, in Silicon Valley and he never took on any investment money. And, and he was kind of bootstrapping. Yes, yeah. he was bootstrapping. And now he's worth a couple of billion dollars. So, I mean, it's doing great. But he's been at it for a long, long time. And they asked him, like, why didn't you take any investors on? And he's like, yeah, I'm, every week I'm fighting off the investors because we never focus on top line. We only focus on delivering an amazing product mm-hmm. and the people. And by doing that, we're more profitable than most of the companies and we drive revenue. Not as fast as all the big growing ones, but we're worth a couple of billion dollars. In a sustainable way as well. Yeah. It's such a learning to see that. I mean, that's how I think really, really great companies build a brand and build also culture. That's great. And we will get into how you got there. But I'm thinking (laughs) let's rewind the tape and take it all the way back to the start. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about your upbringing and uh, beginning of your career and your approach today. Yeah. So let's start with uh, your upbringing. Where were you raised? So I was... I've been moving around a lot when I was young, but I was mostly raised uh, outside of Uppsala, in the countryside, 
with ten other houses going going for the milk at the farmers and and yeah it was a, it was an interesting upbringing so I was really out in the countryside between what ages between five years old and sixteen so just before I started um, the gymnasium from that I moved to Norland in Hanusand and that was also I mean going what is it it's probably 500 kilometers north I didn't know anybody it was me my dad started a job up there so I followed him up and then the rest of my, my mother followed us my sister was old enough so she lived by herself but that was also a, a, a test of individuality and being open and meeting new friends but now I probably the best friends in my life I found in Hanusand. And none of them played football with me, even though it was a football high school. But so it was um, those things, I think, defined me a little bit more. Yeah. Could it be that you start connecting with other values? So I find that, especially in the early age, you become friends with your closest neighbors, maybe. Yeah. And when you get a little bit older, you have more values yourself. Yeah. And you start connecting around those values. Yes, I think that's the case, because... You connect on different things and just being in the vicinity of somebody. So yeah, I think so. Imagine how internet has changed that as well. Definitely. I think internet definitely builds more friendships, but it can also create more solidarity or or isolation for some people that are not really ready to to build those connections. Of course. Yeah, it probably changed that, that a lot. Yeah. So you moved there, you started high school. What was your thought that you were going to become... I've always had this thought that you could you could be whatever you want to be. It sounds a bit cliche. What I mean is that I could be as good as I wanted to be. That's not saying that I wanted... I, I don't think I never ever wanted to be an elite football player. No. Sounds strange because I was playing in this football team in football high school and we were in Junior um, Svenskan and yeah. everything was going great. But I never think I had the ambition to be... A, like a world star or something. You just wanted to... I just had fun. I really, I, I had fun, but then also I wanted to perform. I mean, I've, I've always been like that. I I want to perform, but I liked... Okay, so it wasn't your achievement no. that was the main no. goal. You wanted to be a part of a team and yeah. make that team do well. Yeah, so I love that. But then I stopped playing football. When, when we went from juniors to seniors, I actually stopped playing. Because then I, I was an umpire and I was or a referee for uh, for football, and that took a lot of times during the weekends. But it created a lot of cash for me. Ah, so you went for <laughs> yeah. the time to start making yeah. money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and at that age, you wanted money every weekend because you wanted to go out with your friends and have fun. So um, I, I chose that path, and then also I, I started my first full time work when I came back from a military service and stuff. And then I wanted I wanted to do that. So you went for military service after high school. Yes. How long was that? And tell us a little bit about that experience. Because I'm starting to get Uh, some keys here, how you came into leadership, like the referee, maybe the military service. Yeah. I was a team captain also, probably in all teams I played in football. Yeah, Yeah. me too as well. I haven't reflected on that until now in later age and when I went into career, but I was actually... The team captain most yeah. of the time. No, I I did some reflection on that actually um, a year ago. Or so yeah, I wrote down kind of what I've done through my life, and then you kind of you could see the red threads. 
Now, I went into military for 10 months. It was supposed to be pretty ordinary role as a, as a group leader yeah. or a team leader. Uh, but then when I got in, they, they said, okay, do you fancy driving um, uh, a train vehicle? I'm like, yeah, I could do that. That's, that sounds fun. Yeah, it will be two people doing that. Okay, I'll, I'll be doing that. That sounds great. And then um, I also got that together with another role, which was leading the, the mortar fire. What's that? Um, so the indirect fire, you have, some, uh, you have a team far out in the forest and yeah. they shoot grenades. And you're the guy sitting up front and telling them where to shoot. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, so it was a mixed role, which was so much fun because I, ha- I, I could follow the, um, the company chief. Yeah. So the captain, he was driving around in his, in his cool car and I could follow him everywhere he went. And then I was kind of his uh, go-to guy in, in, in everything. And that was really fun. Why do you think you got that position out of everyone? I have, there? I have no clue. No. I'm just saying it's luck i don't know <laughs> it's for your next it was, reflection it was fun yeah it was it was really fun uh but when i came back i remember coming out like i was 20 years yeah i think i actually yeah i was exactly 20 years on the day actually, okay when, when wow. I got out, yeah. um i didn't want to go back to school because i was i was just tired of going to school and then my mother got tired of me she was like you need to do something get out of bed and do something So then I just, I sent out probably 20 letters to companies in Hanusand. And mm. Hanusand is not a huge city. So, so that's it, all companies. It, it went <laughs> to all the companies. It went to, um, yeah, everybody. And then one of them came back. It was, um, it was a local grocery store. It's like, yeah, you can come and do an interview here to be an hourly wages working in, in the cashier's desk. Were you excited uh, about that? No, not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> you but, had your but, lifestyle. Yeah, but yeah, I have my lifestyle. And then also, my mom told me that you, you need to do something. Because you're not lying around here. That's for sure. That's good. Uh, so I did that. And really enjoy that as well. Because it was, it was a small store. There was, you, you got to know everybody. But it's, it was also the team feeling, right? It was a great team feeling in that, in that team. And everybody was just working really hard. Was it based off the leadership? I think so, but it was also like a small startup. Yeah. It was like, yeah, you had this store manager and then you had an owner that came in. He was really nice. Yeah. But the store manager was driving the team and he was all about getting the guys, the girls together and let's do this together and let's let's fix this and let's do that. And hey, everyone was be, involved. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of people this midsummer. So everybody that can chip in, do that. And, and I was always ready to chip in. I, I love that. Fantastic. So it sounds like a great start to your career. Yeah. yeah, it was. And it was also a great learning because I understood that if you work hard and you say yes, when people ask you to help out, you also get great things back. So I, it went really fast for me to go from sitting there on kind of spare hours to being a full-time employee and then being in charge of the dairy section or the fruit and vegetables and stuff. And then you got to lock the store and then you got to be the store manager for a week and he was gone and then it just continued. That helped me kind of to build a career. Then I was really close to going back into military. I got a call one late evening and there was this guy heading up this new battalion going out to Bosnia. Oh, Yeah, uh, and would you care to join as my assistant? Then I thought really hard about that, and I turned it down. First I went to my boss, and he gave me more salary. That might have helped. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, smart. <laughs> but but I, I eventually I turned it down. 
I don't know if that was the right call. I mean, I still think about that one. I, I never look back. No. Except on this, because okay. I think the life learning from going there had been amazing. What I can tell the life learning that you've had has yeah. also been amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's hard to know. those. It uh, is hard to know. And I mean, you should never be sorry moments. about the decisions you make. Yes. But this was, a, this was one that I, I, I think I would have been a winner either or. But that, I just continued and then he moved me to another store up in Luleå. So, How far is that? It's another 500k. So it's 1000k from Stockholm approximately. It's far up north. It's far up north. <laughs> in the cold. Yeah, in the cold. Was it a new position when you moved? Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. Then I was sharing the, the business or the store manager role with another guy. One, this guy, that was he was really great and kind of all the meat and all the fresh stuff that I didn't really know that much about. But I could run the other stuff, everything that is kind of the groceries mm. part of the store. I could run that one. So I ran that and he ran the, the fresh produce and, and stuff. Uh, and we shared an apartment and I was going up and I was working 10 days and then flying back to, uh, to Hanusand in the, in the beginning yeah. before I moved up. And then I was flying back, working 10 days and just four days at home and back. And then I moved up, everything up. Didn't have any friends except the people in the store. Now looking back at it, I think that every time you move and you put yourself in a position where you kind of, you don't have any real friends or anything, you grow as a person and you find yourself a little bit more. One day a sales guy comes in and say, hey, do you want a job? Because I'm moving districts and my job will be open. These are the sales guys yeah. that come and sell the traveling whatever. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. So he so, offers you a job? Yeah. He offers me his job. How many interactions have you had? Two, probably, Two yeah, and wow. I was really pissed with him when he came in as well, because I was thinking, I was walking by the shelf where he had all his stuff, and I was like, ah, he, when that guy comes in, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna tell him what I think, <laughs> and he came in, and he's like, just, yeah, just best me, he's like, hey, do you want a job? What brand was he selling? And Kellogg's, what? Kellogg's, Kellogg's cereals, yeah. yeah. So you were offered a job at yeah. Kellogg's? I was offered the opportunity to, to go for that job. Yeah. Uh, and it was... At the same time, he came in and I was pissed at him. And then he asked me the question. I'm like, yeah, I think that would be a great idea. When, when is the interview? And he said, now. So then I changed job. And then I had, I think, 125 different customers from Umu up to the north. And I, I just loved it. The first year, I just loved it. I just love going because I love driving cars and I, and I love the nature. I'm thinking it's a lot of driving it, around. Yeah, yeah. There, was, there was some driving yeah. going on. Yeah. <laughs> there was some driving going on, that's for sure. But I just loved because I also had this approach when I came into the stores instead of, I mean, connecting back to infinite games and, and finite games. Like I had when I came into the stores, instead of selling them in a, a campaign or a, like a palette of special K, yeah. I rebuilt their shelf. That's what I did. Instead of selling them the volume, I just rebuilt their shelf. And also then bringing your experience from being in their position, yeah. I'm guessing. And that's exactly what I mean. I thought that I wanted to use the sales guys when I was a store manager. Yeah to rebuild the shelves because they knew so much more than I did about their products and how to build the shelf. So I thought if I go in here and I just offer my expertise and I rebuild the shelf for them and that works, they're going to sell more stuff. How old were you at this time and how was the transition going into this position? 24, 25 probably. And I was, I was doing this and I was traveling all these stores, so just taking them off, rebuilding the shelves. When I came back, it was so much easier to just sell in a 
palette or, or a campaign because the shelves had worked really well. Mm, so that deposited. So, yeah, the... so they were kind of like, I trust you, this works. You can w- tell me what you want to do next. Mm. And I always tend to the shelves first and then I kind of told them there's going to be a campaign. What do you think about this? And they sold. So I, I actually became salesman of the year the first year I worked there. So I, I worked as a traveling salesman for a couple of years. Actually, that's the longest time I worked in one position. It was three years. Now I'm going on two and a half. So I'm closing oh, in wow. on the three years. Yeah. At Casal. Yeah. So I had that. And then I was offered to come down to the head office and, and take a different position. Then I moved again back down to here. Wow. My manager's manager called me and said, hey, we have a position free for you if you want to go for it. It was a space manager, basically building shelves on the computer. And then that role transformed and you became more of a business developer. So you took not only building the shelves, but also taking outside external data like AC Nielsen and household panels and all of that stuff. And then you were boiling that down into insights. And then you were the partner to to the sales rep or to the key account or to somebody. So more analytics and empowering the sales uh, people. Yeah. And had you studied any analytics? (laughs) How were you the right guy? No, I don't know. No, I had not studied anything close to analytics. Um, I, I, I really like Excel. That's, mm. that's probably helped me a lot. Okay, so you're applying it for yourself. Oh, yeah. I built this budgeting program for when I was a traveling sales rep. I used to stay at hotels a lot because yeah. of the area. And at night, I always went into Excel and I was building this budget template for me and my team. And then I said, yeah, this is a really good one. I could build it for all the teams. And if I build it for all the teams, then yeah, you, if you add the sales manager up top and he could just put in a number and then it trickles down to everybody and they know what they should be selling. Amazing. So I, 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 I kind of learned how to use Excel in, in a good way. So for me, analytics has always kind of been something to lean against. It, it helps you. It empowers you. You have oh, yeah. to have data, yeah. I'm guessing, to do better. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and going to an ECA or something, if you don't have data to back your story up, they're they're just going to say no. So true. And in these days, it's even more yeah. important. And Sorry. we get so much more data. Yeah. What I love about it is that you did this for yourself. I always try to talk like when we have our employees, that you're never doing anything for nothing. You will have use. And in this case, it took you to the head office and yeah. gave you another position. Yeah which you wouldn't have the chance, I'm guessing, to get that position without studying it or without doing it. So you just did it. Yeah, that, that's true. I always think you kind of think you know better than your boss or something. You're like, ah, why isn't he doing that? Oh, he should be doing that. Then you're ready for it. Yeah. But you also need to be ready. And this comes from, from probably my own experience. You need to be ready for that you don't know half of what he's doing. And that half that you don't know, you will know while oh, yeah, you're doing you will it learn. and get the I mean, position. That's, yeah. You will fail and you will learn. I mean, that's how you learn. Yeah. Uh, but when you start second guessing your boss, you need to do that in a nice way, of yeah, course. Yeah, but yeah. when you start second guessing him, it's like, why aren't we doing this way instead? Or you should be doing that. Or I can add this. Then I think you're, you're ready for a next step. But you also need to be ready for that. You only know mostly half of what he's actually doing. That's good. There's a limit yeah. to, to what you know. So you started leveling up, you're becoming more of a in-office worker, different managerial positions, I'm guessing, as well. Yeah. I'm guessing at this point, like the analytic part, you start noticing skills that you maybe didn't know you had or an uh, alternative path or where to build your career. Was it, did you start deciding here or were you still just trying to beat the next 
best oh, I, goal? I haven't decided yet what I want to do with okay. my life. <laughs> wow. No, I, I don't think Fantastic so. I mean, I've, I've often got that question, especially when if you're applying for a job or if, or if an HR person in a big company is interviewing mm. you or if asking you questions, you're like, so where do you want to be in three years? Mm. And I, I, every single time I, I pause and I think and I say, I don't know. But um, to your point, yes, I was starting to discovering stuff that I understood that nobody else understood. I don't think I was more smart than anybody else. I just focused more on it. And I just did it a lot of times. And if you do stuff a lot of times, you tend to learn. So I think that I saw that uh, and I continued doing it. I mean, the Excel part, I remember in different roles in, in, in Kellogg's, I continued to do these budget kind of templates. And then I took in third-party data and, and last year's numbers and everything pulled together. And you got your kind of like super budget just wow. fixed. And I had great people working around me that taught me a lot. Uh, one of, I would say, the best leaders I've had is, I always think back at him because he was always asking questions. He was the guy that came into your office, sat down, looked you in the eye and like, how are you doing? What's going good? What's not going good? And then he was asking questions. So I always got to the answer myself. And then he just went out. And that's, a, uh, yeah, I, I still remember that. He moved somewhere else. Uh, and then... I was asked to just fill in until they found the next guy. Uh, and I did. And then I was going into that mode like, I know this. Mm, I got this. I got this, yeah. And then another guy came in that hadn't been in the business before, but he was now the, the managing director. Oh, so they, uh, yeah. Employed someone for that position. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I was now back to being key account and they, they renamed me, I think, senior key account or something. I don't know. But of course, I thought I knew everything, right? And going back that level. Yeah, and that poor guy coming in and I was like, yeah, I know much better than him. And I was, <laughs> I was, I was being really kind of not at it now. I, I, I think it was, um, I would have acted so much differently, but it was also a way of also learning. So uh, he came in and then I stopped working. Then I got, a, I got an offer on, on, in another role on another company, I took that because okay. I thought that was my role that he took. I'm going to do something else instead. So this role, was it also a step up? No. It was, okay, yeah. it was the same role at another yes. company. Okay. And that, that's my learning from this. You should never, ever leave a company or a position because you don't like it. You always leave a position because you're going somewhere. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, you're not fleeing from something, yeah. you're fleeing to. You should never go away something. from anything. You should never kind of trade one, the thing you have for something that could be equally as good, you always need to trade up. Otherwise, you stay, you stick out, and you fix it. Um, so that was, that was my, yeah, that was my learning from that. And it was, uh, I was one and a half year in the next position or something, probably spending most of that time looking for the next step. So what was the next step after that? After that, my next step went to Nike. And that was, um, that was a career-changing thing for me. What position was that? That was a sales manager. Yeah. And I was doing the performance categories. And coming in from FMCG, so the grocery trade, thinking you know everything, right? Going into sales at sporting goods. It's, it's just two different worlds. So I, I, I was going in and I was like, yeah, this is, these are the Excel sheets and, and where's the Nielsen numbers so I can check what's happening out in the world. And they're like, we don't have any Nielsen numbers. I thought, okay, so how are we doing at, at our customers? 
And we don't know. They don't tell us how we're selling through. They just tell us what we sell in. That's like, how, how do we do business? Because in grocery, you know exactly what's selling through. It's everybody's, data. Yeah, yeah, it's data. Yeah. It's data-driven. And here you go from data-driven into selling a brand, selling an idea of a product. And Nike is the best, yes. a, a really good example. It of was the, the best school I could ever brand. ask for, right? Yeah. But it took me half a year to actually like the position. It took me half a year to enjoy what I was doing or understand what I was doing. The first, first couple of months, I was really like, what did I do? Did I throw away my career at FMCG for this? It's, it's not working. Nobody's understanding how to do business. Because again, you think you know a lot. Yes. This has yeah. taken me to neuroplasticity and being yes. adaptable. Yes. So you might have been a bit rigid there from the start. Yeah, you are. I mean, the, the longer you stay in a box, that box becomes tighter and tighter yeah. and more solid. Right? So you need to move outside your comfort zone in order to grow. But it's, it's hurting. Growing is hurting. The only, I mean, the only time you really grow is when you're pushing yourself beyond what's comfortable. That was interesting because I learned so much about how to sell stuff that nobody can see, that nobody can touch, that you have no data for or anything. You, you basically need to get people to believe in what you're saying and in the brand. How do you do that? First of all, you have gr- a great story. Mm. Like every brand these days, I mean, it's all about the story you have. It was all about the story back then as well, but probably you you put it in different terms. But if you were selling running, you needed to get people interested in running. You you needed to get people like, I understand this. This is running. I I, I get this. This, I want to go run. I think that's, at the same time, Nike was already building on their new platform of doing shopping shops. That's really kind of connecting with the consumer inside a sporting goods store. To make a long Nike story a bit shorter, I did this performance sales role and then I did um, an account role for Intersport. And there we did the first shopping shop that Nike did in Sweden with, um, yeah, with Intersport in Drottninggatan. When is it? Shopping shop is quite uh, common now. Oh yeah, it yeah. Uh, just exploded yeah, afterwards. Yeah. Everything went shopping shop. Because it's a smart way of keeping your brand. Yeah. I'm thinking maybe we should explain what shopping shop is. Yeah. Where it's so sitting shopping shop is retailing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course, everybody <laughs> exactly. knows that. Shopping shop is uh, an area. Yeah. That the brand controls and not the store. Exactly. So if you walk into any sporting goods store today, you could walk into an area that is, for example, Adi. Branded and... Branded. Yeah. It's the top product. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's their furniture. Mm. The flooring may be different. Yeah. And you have Adi people going back in to kind of merchandise, to put up new stuff. Often these days, it also works that you always have fresh new product in that area. Mm-hmm. You might not have it in all the other stores, but in just that area, it's yes. always fresh new product. That is a shopping shop. Yeah. It's basically the brand coming alive in a, in a small space. So that was a tool to... Uh, to connect, yeah, to connect the story and the product yeah. to the consumer. It seems like um, the time period you were doing your career is also a very transformative period in general. I, I think, yeah, I mean... The stuff where the brands get more and more visible in store was probably going on right then. That's that's true. I didn't, didn't actually, I haven't thought about it because now it's living in sporting goods. You're, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> feeding on, on it every single day. But yeah. the, it, it happened a lot in those days. I remember because I was working in Sweden and then I got a job in, in Holland at Nike EHQ. And at that point, everything we were talking about is expanding our footprint, our retail footprint. And we did so many things over the years I worked in in Europe to try and expand that footprint. Mm -hmm. 
and and have stepped away from doing that footprint in other people's stores and opening their own stores like we have now in Stockholm. Exactly. And how much do you think the digital revolution or transformation was affecting how how you had to work? I think it was starting back then. This was 2010, 11, yeah. 12 probably. I remember during my time, I think it's exactly where I started or or some year afterwards, um Nike stopped doing TV ads except for Super Bowl and right. and World Cup in soccer and stuff. And they moved everything to digital. So they, uh, we got this kind of case from Nike Running where they moved a lot of money from, from that type of media into a team sitting in, in New York running Twitter and Facebook and doing a, a dialogue with consumers. Uh, on, they were on the Nike Plus platform and they were doing dialogues like, and really answering people. Not just posting stuff, but really having a dialogue. Conversations. Yeah. And that... that case was just blasted then around the world like this is how you need to do business and this is how you need to do that and yeah. this and so forth and that's something we try to do it's really hard working at a big company like that because a lot of it is controlled at a global level centralized yeah some of it is released into a european level and mostly nothing is released into the local level but uh, then again at that time nike had great people working there the marketing department was super super good they executed a lot i think they got some recognition for that i I know in Europe, mm-hmm. probably also wider, but I think that was a little bit of the digital revolution. Nike Plus was there, and then uh, during that time, I don't know if you remember, but Nike Plus did this shoe where you could see the pressure on the shoe in an app. And I recognize this. You had Ni- yeah. Nike Fuel, where it was a bracelet that was kind of measuring all the activity you did. That's quite normal lot. today. But yeah, it is quite normal. It might yeah. have been and it was interesting because they innovative. launched that, then they pulled it back. And then Fitbit came and all of that came afterwards. Now it's quite normal, like yeah, you say. Yeah. I'm thinking throughout this, your job must be to translate all of this going on up here into yes. local level. So my job at, at the European headquarters in Amsterdam, uh, my job was to take, I was head of running in Northern Europe. So my job was to take the strategies that was coming from global, which could be 15 different stories. And, and more products and everything just jammed in uh, and take that and localize it. So not redoing it, more to kind of like we're picking these stories to drive our sales and then trying to put numbers to that and drive budgets and, and drive growth uh, and putting that out to the local countries and asking them to execute. So it was, it was a lot like you're saying, it was a lot like taking all the strategies, all the the assets where we're getting everything and then putting that into a tactics that you could actually execute on a local level. Applicable. And also it has to encourage the people working there on the level. So leadership comes in, oh, yeah. in, in, in this as well. That was hard, huh? Yeah. That was really hard. I think I had seven like indirect reports yeah. that were working in different countries, all of them probably with more, with more knowledge about Nike, with more history with Nike than I had at the, at the time. And, and I was put in trying to tell them what to do. And that was a huge learning. I remember the first couple of seasons I had, we were sitting down and I was telling them, you need to do this and you need to sell that. And they were looking at me like, no. That's not it. No, <laughs> I hear what you're saying, but no. <laughs> and uh, I just couldn't wrap my head around, why aren't they doing this? It's so simple. When I look at it, it's like, it's simple. And then 
Then I, I traveled out to the countries and sat down and talked with them. And then I understood, hey, it's different in every single market. They have this local twist to it that I didn't understand. Because it's not supposed to be done like that on a, on a central level. But it's never, central level and local level are never, ever the same in any company that you're in. Definitely. So, so you have to have that dialogue yeah. both ways. Yes, yeah, so I tried to turn it around and ask them, mm. how should we do it? Because this is what we need to do. How do you think you should do this? And then I had some great people. I remember Jesper in, in, in Denmark. He was a guy who's been with the company for a long, long time. And he's like, Jon, this is how it works. And then we, we changed the direction of the information flowing. And then we just, yeah, we blasted on. I think we, yeah, we, we increased every single season. I think Nike running increased, and I did not do all this, but 20 seasons in a row while I was there. And I think I probably did like five of the last seasons or something. It was, it was really on a growth streak. And it sounds like a growth for you as well. So you, you're just climbing positions and learning along the yeah. way. It's, uh, it's learnability in a nutshell. It, yeah, yeah, it yeah. is. I mean, it's, it, I mean you, you get these trainings in companies that yeah. you're in. Yeah. You always get these technical trainings. Mm-hmm. Use this tool, do this. I mean, at, at Kellogg's, I had an amazing course that ran over a year where I learned how to be a really professional key account manager. Yeah. But I probably learned more about how to achieve results from my manager that was sitting opposite mm-hmm. me asking questions. But the technical things you got with you. Nike had some great educations as well. But I probably learned more from, from Jesper when he told me, hey, this is how it works, and turning it around and working with people. So I think it's the combination. And when you understand yourself that take the tools you have and apply them in a way that works, not in a way that everybody tells you it should work, then, then you get different results and, and, you, yeah, and you expand your, your own kind of vision on, on how stuff is done. It's sort of like you're a scientist. So you're taking <laughs> like the, the theory and applying it in the real world, practically yeah. getting feedback. That's important, yeah. getting feedback from everything you're trying and learning from that and improving. So it's yeah. a constant process more than I, I went to this education and now I'm going to apply it and that's it. Exactly. I mean, you, you need to look at, at learning as an iteration of yourself. You learn a little bit well more said. every single time. And then you need to accept the big steps that I'm now that I'm saying like, oh, this is a, was a big turning point for mm-hmm. me. This, so I failed telling them what to sell. And that's when I learned out how to actually do it. So and then we had better success than we had before. And it was, I mean, it's every time you fail, that's when you have the greatest chance to learn. You can learn outside failing, of course, as well, but you're never going to be as big of a step change as if you really fail. So you, you would say that you need to fail oh, yeah. in order to succeed. If, if you want to grow a lot, not just grow a little, yeah. you need to fail. Definitely. I mean, otherwise, you're not trying hard enough. That's a great takeaway. What happened or what did you do after Nike? So I moved back to Sweden. Family was expanding. So we said, okay, we want to be back home with our extended family. And I just, I just love being here in Stockholm as well. So we moved back. And then I was at home and I got a call from, from Apple here in Sweden. They wanted to know if I wanted to come and interview for a role. What role that was, was retail, that? Uh, so not Apple retail, their own retail, but Apple partner retail. Oh, yeah. So all the business they do with, with MediaMarkt and uh, El Gigante and, and stuff. Uh, and I, just at that moment, I remember I went on a, 
uh, on a lunch with a friend, or actually I didn't know him at the at the time, but he he took over as managing director of Kellogg Sweden after the guy that I worked with previously. He took over that role, and I just knew I've heard that he was a good guy, and now he was working at another company, and I for some reason that I don't, don't really remember, called him and asked for a meeting. Because I, yeah, he he completely changed industries. He was working at AC Nielsen and then was working at Kellogg's and then all of a sudden he's a recruiter. So I was like, how did you do that? Great that you contacted him from yeah. just a, I don't know a why, question actually. mark. No, I, head, uh, yeah. I, I got a tip from somebody. Yeah, We have a lot of common friends. So he said, go meet this guy. When we meet him, I asked him, how and why did you kind of change industry so much or, or actually career path and he told me I sat down and I wrote down on the list all the negatives the, the stuff that I don't want to do mm. even if I don't want to do it and I'm not doing it today or if I'm doing it today and if I really think hard I don't want to do it again and he just said I, I don't want to do a lot of negotiations with Koporika or stuff because oh, yeah. yeah. that's really hard and sometimes boring yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like yeah this really makes sense such an easy exercise to do right It's like writing your personal mission statement. Yeah. It, it's but it was easy, so but powerful. it gives you a lot. Yeah. yeah. I just, so I sat down at home and I wrote, this is what I really do not want to do. And this is what I want to do. And it was so powerful because I could directly, when you start doing this, it's a bit hard, but then you get into a flow and then you kind of, a role just pops into your head and then you just write what that role is and isn't. And then you're like, ah, this is what I want to do. So great. Instead of having it in your head and thinking about it, yeah. it never clarifies. No. And I, I, I think about that, just writing anything, writing down your ideas. When you, for me specifically with pen and paper, it clarifies and it crystallizes in a different way. Do you journal anything? Like uh, A bit. Uh, yeah. yeah, a bit. It's, I mostly, because I walk around with a lot of different ideas, yeah. so I mostly try to get those down. But journaling is something I want to do more of. Yeah. I, I, I try journaling. It's i think I tried too much. Okay, <laughs> like yeah. every every morning and every evening. Um, but when I journal and I also write down a lot of stuff, I have the same experience as you. It's everything just clears up, and you get it on paper, and you can save that piece of paper, and you can take it take it out whenever you want. Exactly, revisit. I'll actually have to go into the science behind that and and see if I can find some answers. Yeah. To why. So you wrote it down, and from yes. that. Yeah, I wrote it down and, and in my mind it's like, yeah, I want to go back into sports, but I want to do it with a Swedish or a Nordic company. Okay. Because I'm, I'm just, I'm feeling very proud of being part of this society that is the Nordic society. So I, I just, I just wanted it to be with those values, mm-hmm. I think, or the culture from, from the Nordics. Um, and I wanted to be in a leading position, preferably CEO. I've, I've never been anywhere close CEO mm-hmm. when I was writing this down, but I was like, this is what I want to do, right? So I want it to be premium. It should not be just quick turnover. It shouldn't be a kind of a no-name brand. It needs to be something, right? So, so that's what I got out of that. Yeah. And it really cleared my mind. But then again, I looked at it and I'm like, ah, not really close right There's now. A few steps. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple of steps. But um, I put it on my, I have this kind of map of where me and my family, where we're going in the future. Yeah. That's really interesting. I want to get into the yeah. more of that later. Yeah, sure. Um, so we put it on there. Yeah. Me and my wife, this is what I'm going to do. But then I got this call from Apple asking me if I wanted to come in and interview for a role. It was really um, 
cool interview. I was three hours in a room with two different people that were going in and out. Great, great, great guys, but it was a very interesting interview. Good cop, bad cop. <laughs> no, I, I just think they had other meetings. I don't know. Oh, but, okay. <laughs> and they were, this guy was coming in. Oscar, a great guy, yeah. heading up Apple in Sweden. He was writing on the on the whiteboard. Ah, this is how it works, and this is how we're structured and everything. He's like, ah, I need to go now. But Uwe is coming. When Uwe was the guy I was supposed to report to. Okay, yeah. He's coming in and he's going to show you the rest. And Uwe comes in. And it's like, yeah, let me change that for you because <laughs> this is how it really works. And they were going back and forth. Uh, again, great guys, but it was a interesting it, it process. Was fun. Yeah, yeah. And then I did additional interviews, and and then I got offered the job. And when you're offered a job from Apple, you, you, you don't say no. No. I mean, you, you want that experience, right? You really want to get into that company and see what happens yeah. behind the scenes. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I think it's a big goal yeah. for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. I just realized, I mean, working for like Activision or Nike or Apple, it's some people strive for that. Definitely. So I've, I've been lucky just to kind of slip in. Uh, I hear a lot of work behind it. (laughs) Yeah, but this was really like, I was lucky this position was opening up and... And And timing as well. Yeah. So I got in, uh, did a lot of interviews and and then I got in and I started working there and sales is different than Apple. Um, I can imagine. It's not selling, it's more being a partner Mm -hmm. for the resellers. Mm It's more helping them to sell more than it is to push sales onto them. And philosophy-wise, I'm guessing you're still on the brand oh, side, yeah. philosophy-wise. Oh, oh, yeah. But it's a digital technical product, so there's some differences still from Nike. Yeah. How How is it going into that? I mean, this is probably what made it a little bit difficult for me to just be 100% into that. Yeah. Because it was a bit too much sales. And this had nothing to do with the local people or office or anything. It was just how Apple does business. Mm. I mean, I look up to that company because they're so amazing. There are so many smart people working in that company. But you get everything is coming from from Cupertino. It's coming from from the US. Mm. And if Nike pushed down hard on how stuff is made, I mean, Apple is 10 times as hard on how stuff is made. And, And how you present the brand and what you could sell, where you cannot sell it. And just getting a reseller into the system takes a year almost because they only have a certain amount of resellers. They don't have a lot of them that are authorized to sell Apple gear okay, so from it's Apple. Limited. Yeah. So, so it was a completely different setup, but it was very much sales and operations. Um, and for me, I, I still love the brand, right? I yeah. put that down. This is what I want to work yeah. with. I don't want to do big um, negotiations with large chains. And that was, I was heading into that again. But then again, it was Apple. So it was, a, it, was, um, it was a very interesting time. How long time were you there? And what's your like, main takeaway if you have one? Takeaway is that protect your brand always. Because mm-hmm. that's what makes them great. To be honest, some of their products aren't the best products. Mm-hmm. Some of their apps aren't the best apps. I feel that. I'm an Android user and, and, and yeah. an Android guy as well. Yeah. But their brand is amazing. Yeah. It, it really is. I mean, I, I, I have this friend, we always joke because I have an iPhone. Yeah. He doesn't have an iPhone. Uh, yeah. And every time he comes there, hey, do you want to borrow my camera? Because I know it's so much better than yours. And I'm like, no, not ever. <laughs> but I, you always get that. And, and to that point, I mean, to what you started with, the, the infinite game, mm-hmm. they know that people are doing better products than them, but the brand is untouchable. Yeah. 
So I think that is some, that's a takeaway. And you also see, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. like how they're building on that with their subscriptions oh, and yeah. they're moving more and more into subscriptions. Yeah. And I read somewhere that they're moving into uh, more recycling. So they'll be doing more recycling of their phones and they'll make less money on that. So they're moving into subscriptions because of that. And if you have the brand, it's yeah. easy to tie a person. Uh, yeah, they, they have this. Um, I'm not 100% sure that this is the right wording, but they say that they're going to be CO2 neutral as a company. That's yeah, their target. Exactly. That's yeah, what that's... they're going for. So, I mean, it's just great for a company of that size to just take that on and just communicate that as this is what we're going to do. And also their stance on privacy and, yeah. and security. That is all building the brand, right? Yes. It's not all, it's not the logo. It's not, it's, it's what the logo stands for. It's the values. It's the culture. It's everything around it. And I mean, if, if you look at Apple and if you look at Nike and the comparisons are that they're great brands, but their brands really stand for something. Mm. They have culture, they have value. They invest a lot of money in people understanding those values and culture. And, and that's also what's making them stick to the brands. That's what's making me stick to the brand, although I ever, I, I've quit. But um, I wasn't there for long. No. Um, I wasn't planning on leaving or anything, but you know, the job that I kind of wrote down, this yeah. is what I want to do. That just popped into my knee. Like, Okay, so you got another offer. Yeah, I got an offer to become the CEO of a Nordic brand that is premium, that is, has a story, that is heritage, that is high quality, that is everything wow. that I just wanted to be in. And I, I just did, think that's your current that's job. That's my current job. Kazal. And I didn't really think that was true when it happened because it was such a curveball. Just a couple of months before, I just wrote it on a piece of paper and then it just comes alive. But then, you know, reading uh, if it's Tony Robbins or if it's yes. Napoleon Hill or whatever, yes. it, that is how it works, Set right? Set the intention and, and Yeah, the and then evil. you create your own opportunities, even though you don't really understand what you're doing to create them. It could be networking, it could be talking to the right people, sending signals, it could be whatever you do. It could be talking to somebody about your passion mm. and then that person remembers you talking to somebody else and then... It's rings on the water. So the first step is clarifying yes. the passion for yourself. Yeah. And when you've done that, you will automatically communicate that or take steps yeah. towards that. And you will uncover the opportunities around you. Because yeah. I know we talked about this before, but I mean, the clear cut example is when you really, I really want to buy Jeep. And I see that damn Jeep everywhere because I really want to buy that Jeep. Yes. It's probably been there all along, but now I just see it everywhere. And it's the same if you really put down, but you need to put it down like you really, really want it. Mm. Not just, I want to make tons of money. No. It's like, you need to understand why. Intrinsic and what you can, yeah, exactly. motivation. You need to see yourself driving the Jeep. Yes. If you do that, then you're going to see Jeeps everywhere, whether you want it or not. The lifestyle with the Jeep, everything yeah. around. And there you can find science. There's a lot of science between the, the Ross activation system back uh, in your head, but I'm not going to go into that one. Yeah, <laughs> that's another episode. Yeah, that's another episode, right? Uh, we will get into you getting this, your dream position that you're yeah. currently sitting yeah. on, CEO of Casal. But you mentioned books like Napoleon Hill, uh, Tony Robbins. Yeah. Uh, do you, have you read a lot? Because you haven't done a, a conventional education along this path, but I'm guessing you've self-educated. Oh, yeah. I, I think my, my greatest passion over five years back or something has been reading, reading books. Yeah. Mostly nonfiction, mostly about brand building, business, selling, PR, how the brain works. Yeah. Understanding personal development on a whole different level. 
Um, I think that's my, it has helped me a lot. I don't know if it's probably subconsciously, it has helped me uh, in the roles I've had, but I think more on a personal level, developing, understanding what to do to develop yourself, understanding the sacrifice, not taking anything for granted, thinking outside the box. I probably learned that from from reading books mm-hmm. and podcasts, I would say. So interviews with the people. The, the people doing this. Yeah. Uh, and also the people that wrote the book. So they actually explain yes. what the book is about, which helps Back you so story. much more. And I really believe in that, of course, yeah. uh, uh, learning how we work. Yeah. Like uh, the be- behavior science that you've been yeah. into. It helps a lot. Knowing our biases and our strength and how we can optimize yeah. ourselves. Have you been into biohacking anything? No, I haven't been into biohacking. I I have friends that are have tried biohacking stuff, I think, but I no, I haven't. No, I'm asking because I'm also becoming more curious about yeah. that and thinking I should read in a little bit on yeah. that. It is it is interesting though. I mean, what it, t- today whatever you're interested in, you can find tons of books and tons of materials about it. So it's really interesting. And like you said, the 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 simple product like a podcast is so easy to consume yeah. the latest from the top guys yeah. whenever it suits you. And just listening to other people, other people's journeys. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about the big leaps of when you fail. But if you read biographies or mm-hmm. autobiographies mm-hmm. or you listen to people's journeys, you don't have to do all the failures yourself. You, you could gain you could that just, experience. Yeah. Exactly. You could just jump, jump leapfrog five years instead of just doing it. You could read about it. Yeah. And you understand stuff that would take you five years to understand. I think that's something that people need to kind of wrap around their heads that if you're just sitting there as a lame duck, just doing your job, waiting for somebody to come and educate you, you're never going to go anywhere. But if you kind of pick up that book and you decide where you want to go and then you kind of get, okay, I want to be here. So when I wanted to be, when I wrote down, I wanted to be CEO, I also, I also said, I need to understand more about branding. I, f- I think it's fun and I enjoy it, but I need to understand how, what, what works, what doesn't, and, and what's the philosophy behind it and, and examples and, and how does that, I need to understand how does PR work? I still don't, by the way, <laughs> but, <laughs> but how does that work? Now I'm, I'm reading up on influencers. Yeah. How does that really work? Because I... For me, my personal feeling against influencers, it's a bought media channel. Mm-hmm. But there is something on the outskirts of influencers where you have the real true ambassadors mm-hmm. of something. That's where something can be found. And I want to understand how that works. And I'm reading a lot about that. Getting a little bit more technical with it. Yeah. Besides the interest. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's kind of the key. If you want to go somewhere, if you want to educate yourself, you need to just understand that it's, it's up to you. And it goes with this saying, like, experience is not about time, how long you've done something. It's what you've done with that time. Yeah, what you fill the time with. A Netflix series or a documentary. I mean, or or if you uh, listen to the radio shows, the morning shows on radio, or if you listen to a book. I mean, that's that's the easiest thing. A lot of people that I talk to, and they sometimes ask me, how much do you read? And I would read an hour a day. They're like, how do you have time for that? Well, I'm in the car more than an hour a day. And if I have an audiobook on, I read an hour a day without even picking up the book. So we can all, and we all have the chance to yeah, make those decisions. Yeah. Or you just go for a walk half an hour during lunch. And instead of just popping in music into your ears, you have that book or you have a good interview with somebody. Or, and, and when you do that, you get more and more interested. And eventually you find yourself not 
scrolling away on Instagram before you fall asleep, you actually read a book before the you first, sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your first go-to yeah. is, uh, I want to learn more about yeah. whatever it is. It's like the whole story, like how you've told it, it's a fantastic example of just that. So becoming a CEO, because CEO, many people see it as this like a huge Untouchable role. Untouchable stuff, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. I thought the same, huh? <laughs> and you took the steps, just taking the steps. Uh, yeah, I, I still don't see myself as a, I mean, when you think CEO, you think the guy in a suit, mm. you think the guy that is untouchable, that is making the millions a year and everything. I still don't see myself as that guy. I don't never want to be that guy. What I, what I probably want to be is a thought leader in the areas that I'm interested in. If I could be that, if anything, then I would be happy. And I think that's even more inspiring working for you. I really yeah. get that feeling from you. So you, f- you feel approachable, like uh, knowledgeable. That's nice. Thanks. As, yeah, no, <laughs> definitely. And I think as a leader, that's something that the people working with you would look up to rather than the CEO that thinks that CEO is a certain position or wearing a certain suit. You remember the guy that I told you again, the manager at, Ke- at Kellogg's? Oh, he, yeah. he once told me this um, as a feedback. We had these feedback sessions. Yeah. That's also one thing that American companies do really well. They have these really structured feedback cycles. And so in, one of, yeah, in one of these meetings, he was telling me, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, you see the solution before we see the solution. And then you run towards it. Then you get annoyed when nobody understands what you're saying because you're just presenting the solution. You need to wait for everybody to get on the train. And get them on the train, maybe. Get them on the train. Then you leave the station. Mm. Don't leave the station before you understand that everybody's on the train. And, and that's something that I've, it's just stuck with me. And I've got similar kind of feedback throughout my years as well, that I'm jumping to conclusions. And when I'm trying to develop myself in order to not jump to the conclusion, because I still see solutions sometimes. It, it has to be like this. And I get really annoyed inside, like, why aren't they seeing what I'm seeing? But now I learn that if I try to get the people around me to see the solution, not guiding them, but asking the questions and saying, hey, if, if we want to be here, what should we do? I mean, you know this better than me. Like, how would you build that presentation deck, for example? Because I don't understand. If I say that, People start explaining to me and then I can ask more questions and all of a sudden they're just explaining to me better than I thought from the beginning, most likely, <laughs> exactly how to get there. And you reach to the conclusion at the same time. So yeah. The train analogy is very good. Yeah. You arrive at the station at the same, at the same time. time. Yeah. And um, sometimes you need to understand that you might see the solution before somebody else because you have simply have done it more times or... You have experience in other areas, which makes you able to see a solution at some times. Then you need to kind of put your, some restraints on yourself and, and wait for people to catch up. That is, I think, the hardest thing about being a leader in anything is just doing that. The Patience. second hardest thing is when you don't understand. When you're the guy that's late for the train, uh, yeah. then that's yeah. the second hardest thing. But I, I try to be... I tried to be on that side of, of, the, of the train yeah. instead of the other side. I mean, I, try, I always try to hire people that are much smarter than I am in every single position that I can find in the company. Because if, if I learn something every day from the people around me, I get so much smarter and they're just outsmarting me in the areas where they should be smart, then we as a collective will just be unstoppable, right? 
We hire people to tell us what. This is a Steve Jobs quote, by the way. But <laughs> you should hire people and let them tell you what to do, not the other way around. You shouldn't just hire people and then tell them what to do. That's just waste of talent. Talent time. Yeah, I think that's how you build a strong team. But that takes time, and then you need the the hardest piece is you need culture in a great team. And culture is built by the people in the team over time. So let's take that to your current position. How yeah. long time have you been at Casal? What are you currently maybe struggling with or looking forward to? I've been there for two and a half years yeah. now. In June, uh, we're struggling with the current retail environment. I would say. Oh uh, yeah, overall. Um, yeah, overall. I mean, it's it's a very tough environment. I, there's a lot of stuff happening in retail right now. Um, a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Actually, I, I, I mean, I, I don't like people going bankrupt or being out of business, but I love that it's transforming to be more driven by what people really want. When and you have just, good capitalism, yeah. it's a great system exactly. of getting the best. Exactly, yeah. good capitalism. Yeah. That's what it is, and you should. It's not about putting the cheapest pair of black tights on everybody. It's but if somebody really wants a pair of black tights then offering them something that they can choose from. Mm. It's you you should never try and sell something then you're then you're kind of going down the wrong path. Yeah. It's about it. trying to get people to want to buy your product. And I think we're moving in that direction as a business, especially yeah. in sporting goods, but there are more and more brands that are popping up in the performance area that is not going through the kind of the old-fashioned way of doing it is you're going through a, a chain of stores or you're going through a distributor or an agent or something. Mm. Nowadays Because you scroll your phone and you can find a new brand, and 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 what I like with that and what we're trying to build more and more, but that takes time, is that human to human interaction. Yes, like humanizing your brand, being something for them, being a value, standing for something. A voice. Yeah, having a voice, but also like if if you search about us for as a brand, you should understand directly. Oh, they stand for this. They stand for me being a better. Self, like yeah. being a better person every day, instead of just buy these tights and you'll run a little bit faster. We're not about that at that's all, and, and that's quite the, superficial. It is quite superficial. But if you're an elite athlete, yeah, I want to go. Oh, yeah. I want to be a little bit faster. But we're not for elite athletes. And that's the people. Yeah, that's the transformation we're doing. Like building a brand for somebody that shares the same values as us, and I think that's transforming. That transformative journey is tough. And getting everyone with, yeah, that is really hard. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a big train. Um, we How don't, many people work at Casal? No, we're in in our company. We're around fifty, fifty people, just below fifty. Uh, I mean, it's a big train. We don't have a we don't have a like this silver bullet train, and it still moves on coal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to be more and more sustainable. We're yeah. moving towards that direction, but there's so many things you need to do. The thing you need to check it against is who are you. So I think we started our journey, like finding out who are we really and what do we stand for, and then everything we do after that, we just check it upon: is this us? Is this us? If you do that, people connect to you on the values, and when people connect to you on the values, they they more tend to want to buy your products. And if the products surprise and delight you as a person, and you stand for the values, you're gonna run and tell everybody of your friends about this. Yeah, and that's how you build a brand today. This takes us back to Simon Sinek. Yes. Start with why. Yes, that's one of my favorite books. I have three copies, and I run them a couple of times okay. each. Yeah. How do you apply that? Start with why as a CEO at Casal. 
redefining your why? It's, for me, it's all about, we exist as a brand to help people become better people. We talk about holistic health and we talk about mind or we talk about body, soul and heart. And that is the components that you need, you need, to, you need to build inner strength. You, you don't have to have a six pack of abs, but you need to be strong in the core. So it's from the inside out, right? You need to train your heart in order to have a good health and, and to actually have energy yeah. throughout the day. But you don't have to run a marathon. And you need to have stillness in the mind in order to be more, more kind of sharp at what you do. It could be mindfulness, it could be yoga. And then we do products that serve that. But our why is to help people to become a little bit better, a little bit more healthy. And as long as we do that and connect everything to that, it doesn't really matter how we do it. As long as we serve that why, and then we do products that fit into that story, then we're going to sell more. It's not all about focusing on the top line. You need to focus on what are we doing? What, what benefit do we have to people? And if we have great benefit and a great story and values, then people that buy our products are going to recommend more people to buy it. I really like that. And I think what I like most about it, it becomes, especially with the approach you've chosen, you give, give, yeah. give, give, yeah. give a lot of value. It's all about giving. And then you'll get back yes. eventually. Like I was saying, never try and sell anything. No. Present people with who you are. Yeah. If they like you, they will want to buy. It's, it's all about that. And it, it, but that is hard. Yeah. Because not everybody sees it that way. No, exactly. <laughs> and especially if you have like maybe a board or yeah. getting everyone on it is, board. It is hard to get everybody on the train. And that's where you need to be. You need to have conversations and dialogues all of the time. You need to have, you need to align on at least the values around it because if you have the values as core then you can always have good discussions around it i think that's um that's your job at the end of the day yes as it the is. leader yeah yeah you've been touching upon leadership mm. i'm thinking let's dive a little bit deeper into yep. leadership specifically what's like your greatest lesson when it comes to leadership or like your greatest insight and how did it come about Some of the insights we went through, like the one at Nike where, where you had these yeah. people, that was most my failings, where I, where I think I took a leap in terms of understanding leadership. One of my great successes is what I did at Apple together with the team that we had. Because yeah. when I started there, we did, I asked HR, could you do a, a kind of survey for the people that are reporting into our team, yeah. the team that we were? And we did a survey and it wasn't perfect. <laughs> to say the least. I okay, mean, we, we had a lot of areas that we wanted. Yeah. It wasn't criticism. Um, it was a lack of information, lack of career path. Um, with lack of information comes a lot of other stuff that you're not understanding. Or And people are getting annoyed. And in this team, we had around 30 people working not in the office in Stockholm. So they were situated in different stores around Sweden. So we, as a team, sat down and said, hey, how do we attack this? What do we need to do to make this better because that's if we want to be great leaders we want them to do great job and be passionate and really live the brand and if they do that we're going to sell more because they're facing consumers every day and we understood that if they're happy and passionate they're going to sell a hell of a lot more product than if they're really pissed off at us so so we sat down we, we said okay what do we want to do so we started with a kickoff with everybody in the room And they were like, yeah, we want, we want a career path. We want to have more information. And then we just decided information is easy. We just share information more often. Did you have, to have a channel to do that? Then? Yes, um, we created one, yeah. I would say. 
So we had males, of course, but males is what males is. It's yeah. not always the best one. So we created sessions, that small, smaller teams that met uh, at a higher frequency. Mm. And we had two field sales managers that were traveling around with their own teams and meeting the teams together and then taking the learnings from one team, taking to the next team, meeting them, more learnings. So they actually got together more and they it, that created a better team feeling also within the, the larger team because they met each other so much more. Before they didn't meet anybody, they were just summoned in when we had a sales meeting and told what to sell and then sent back out again. <laughs> What I also like about that is using what you got. Yeah. So you didn't take in some external consultants. We we used what we what we had and that's people. Yeah. And we had great people. So I mean it's just utilizing them in a different way. So that was one way and then they wanted a career path. Yeah. And then we actually had a long conversation much like the one we had now about self-learning, self-education. And everybody was like, we want more education. We want Apple to fund this and do that. And 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 for me, I was like, yeah, but if you really want to get somewhere, what's stopping you? Start educating yourself. Start doing stuff. And and then we created a forum where they did something that was business related. They presented that to the team. Oh, I love that. Like a like a best practice sharing. Yeah. And and I was amazed because there were so many smart ideas that just popped out and and they were just and it's this is their work. They just took it and ran with it and just did more and more best cases and then they came in it's like we're doing this it's working could we get funded to train ourselves in whatever it was and then it's an easy yes you get that self education going yeah. and self leadership yeah that's so the thing so what i'm getting here is like your role as a leader or leadership is about might not be about but a way to make it easier is to activate self leadership oh yeah I mean say now if if you're a leader like in my position right now or if you have a bigger team or if you have a team in different dimensions or or levels you should always strive for people growing as much as possible and then leaving which is a strange thing to say right if you think about it long to, again infinite game not instead yes, of the finite game if you, you think about this and if i can have a lot of people growing within my team and then when we don't have anything to offer them we help them to take the next step they're going to talk so good about our company so good about our team about us as people about our values about our core how we helped them how we did this and that and that's going to spread it's like building a brand yeah but you're building your corporate brand and it it brings me to reed hoffman often talks about the hero's journey yeah. and making people a part of your hero's yeah. journey so imagine them becoming this big superstar yeah. they'll be talking about this experience this is where yeah. it's switched think about sitting back when you're 70 years old and you see three or four really successful ceos and marketeers and entrepreneurs you're like yeah i worked with all of them they were in my team that's that's when you can be proud right and that's the infinite game yeah that is the infinite game because then you just pass on knowledge and and they add more knowledge and you get more and I think that's what leadership is about and what we open up for the guys at Apple and the girls was really like educate yourself and then we created we were actually able and I this is great from because Apple could make this happen we created layering within the team so they could be a senior and then they could be a a field sales person so they could move in direct in different kind of levels of seniority within the same team. Wow, okay. So that that's didn't also exist the before. carrots. Yeah. yeah, it's the small carrots yeah. and it's it wasn't a lot of 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 pay increase. I don't remember if it was any, but it's just you get a new title yeah. because you've done something. 
and we could fund their training and they could share their best cases. And we talked, took their best cases and they could share with the whole team. You, you have to reward to get that yeah. uh, positive feedback because then you can try to get in a positive feedback loop. So you do good, get good, do good, get yeah. good and stimulate that. And the thing that. is, we didn't really reward anything. No. We just put them in front of the other people and they started sharing. Yeah. And that, that was the reward for them, which is uh, still to this day, I would just, I'm amazed how they developed because it was so fast. I think we were in nine months. We did the same test again and the results was just completely flipped over. Everything was green. It was, wow. everyth- everybody was thriving and there was, it was strange. <laughs> I love how you can take like the culture part and the, the warm, maybe fluffy yeah. stuff and actually add it to, it brings value yeah. at the end of the day, business-wise. I wanted to ask you, if you were to put together a becoming a CEO yeah. course, how would that look? Because your path have been completely... I would, I would say fail as much as you can. Yes. And learn from every failure. Yes. And by failing as much as you can, it's not always about failing yourself. It's about reading about people that fail and what they learned. And, and talk to people that failed and talk to people that are successful in order to not have to fail in every single time. I think that together with... Writing down, what do I really want to do? Because becoming a CEO could be a target. But becoming a thought leader or becoming a, a, a marketing director or just becoming something that you really want to do, if you really identify that, so that with that intrinsic... Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, and, and you really feel yourself being in that position, like this is what I really want to do. And then trying to figure out where am I now? Where do I want to be? What do I need to understand in this role? And how can I build that? And then let it take time because you're not going to be, I was lucky that something dropped into my lap and I got that role. But if you identify, okay, I need to learn more about sales. If I want to be a CEO, for example, and I've only worked in logistics or something, put yourself out there, become a sales rep. I mean, it's, start it's, yeah, wherever you yeah, can. start wherever you can. And I, I have this friend, a great friend that I gotten to know in Holland. He's, he's a, a Swedish guy. He was working in sales at Nike in, in Israel. Okay. Being really great. Moved to Holland, worked on product in merchandising. Moved back to Sweden, got a job as a marketing director. I mean, that is amazing, right? That and, journey. Yeah. And now he's got everything he needs to become a CEO. Probably more than anybody else because he's really worked in these different areas of the business. And I think that's the right way of building your, yourself. You need to identify where do I want to go? What do I need to build? And don't be afraid to go there. If you don't want to change a career path or anything, then read, mm. then learn. Try to read up on it. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you're responsible for your journey. Yeah. So you're responsible for defining it yeah. and you're responsible for pursuing it. I mean, all, all actions you take are on your own, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, if you want to become something, it's only up to yourself. And if, if you blame other people, you, then you don't really get it. That's a reactive... Uh, yeah, I mean, everything you do, you're responsible for. Even if somebody does something to you, you need to just step outside and... Why did that happen? Yes, you're responsible for yeah. your response to that. Yeah. yeah. And actually, this weekend, yeah. I was in Indianapolis looking at the Indy 500. Something I never thought I'd do, no. ever. <laughs> so I was there and I was at this dinner with a guy that is um, um, a billionaire from Silicon Valley. And he was telling me this story about how he first built his fortune and then he got a divorce and he gave everything to his wife. Everything. Everything. Then he started over and he was selling used furnitures and stuff. 
and then he rebuilt his whole yeah his whole um, wealth again. Uh, and then after that, he showed me his garage of amazing cars and everything. And I was like listening to this guy he's in his 80s right now, sitting there next to me, like doing the stuff like Elon Musk yeah. is doing, because he basically did the same, right? <laughs> Just giving everything away. And I, was like, I, I know I can build it again. And he built it again. And now he's where he's at right now. And he's a part-time owner of this IndyCar it's character. Yeah. You, you, when you see these journeys, there's some characteristical traits yeah. that you can see repeatedly. I actually learned this, I think I was about 18 years old. So yeah. it's about 10 years ago. I bought this book called Swedish Billionaires or Millionaires. Yeah. I think it's Billionaires. So it was a journalist that had covered six, I think, Swedish billionaires in Swedish crowns. So that's yeah. millionaires in, in dollars. <laughs> and what I found, I found some patterns. One pattern was that four out of these six billionaires had lost all their fortune yeah. and regained it. Yeah. I think one did it twice or, or three times. Yeah. And they had that confidence all the, all the way through that this is, they're on that level. Yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine about this because of, of the guy that I met yeah. last weekend yeah. because it was so like mind-blowing, yeah. right? It's all about sh having the, the, the frame of reference in your life. I mean, people say the older you get, the less scared you get. The older you get, the less, I don't know, in love you get or whatever. It's because your frame of reference keep on pushing out. It's, it becomes bigger, it becomes larger. You understand what's possible. And I think if you have been a billionaire or a millionaire, and you lose it, you know what's possible. It's, I mean, you basically have the blueprint in the back of your head because you've done it before. You know the emotions, you know what you need to do, and you know how to do it. If you've only seen that from the outside, then it's much harder. So I think Definitely. that's probably why they've just done it again, because it's like, yeah, you do this. That brings us into, we spoke about it, or oh, you mentioned it earlier, the goal setting yeah. and <laughs> you doing it with your family. I love yeah. that. And yeah. I, I want to take some, some stuff with me from that. So tell us a little bit about that. Where did you get it from? How do you do it? And short-term versus long-term goals, what's the balance there? So me and my wife, we do this since a couple of years back. We do this long-term goal setting. It's 10 years out, it's five years out, it's three years out, and it's this year. Uh, it's really simple. We have, I think it's four or five different areas. One could be family, one could be financials, one could be experiences, for example. Uh, and then we said, okay, experiences, what do we want to do this year? Yeah. So this year I want to go to Svenska Högarna, which is a place far out in the archipelago. Yeah, yeah. That's an experience I want to have. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So we put that down. And then we say, okay, where do we want to be in three years? So in three years we want to go and we want to go to the Alps with the kids to have a great summer, fair, uh, mm. summer holiday to, for them to experience that, that environment. Ten years we want to go on a safari with everybody because oh. then they're old enough to go on a safari. And we sit down and we decide this stuff and we, we this is a simple one, the experience, because <laughs> when you get to financials and careers, because that's also on there, you need to have a discussion as a family. And this started because we were getting our, or we wanted to get our second child. We have three now. Yeah. And we said, okay, what do we do with careers and finance? And, and if, if we get this second child into the world, when should he arrive and how do we plan all this? And we sat down and we talked about it. 
And then my wife is is brilliant at, at design and, and, and drawing pictures and stuff. So yeah. she drew, quickly drew everything down on a piece of paper. Once again, getting it down. Yes, getting it down on paper without writing anything. She just did pictures, but they mean something to us. And I think that connects better than words. Yeah. So we got that down on paper and, and then we got, okay, this is where um, he, he is now, his name is Max. He, he, this is when he should arrive. This is strange, but he actually came, I think a month or two months after we put him in, in <laughs> which, which sounds really strange, but I promise you, we did not plan it like that. It's strange today, but I think in the future, that's how it will work. You yeah. Will sort of yeah, order you probably plan it. Yeah, you yeah. order it in. Order it, yeah. <laughs> but then, uh, and then we said, okay, we want to go back home and different stuff we wanted to do. We wanted to move house. Yeah. We love the house we're in, but we understood also we want a bigger house for the family. Good. And we put that on a five year out or something. And then, so the kid came, we moved back home and a lot of stuff happened. It didn't really re- reflect much on the first kind of plan we did. No. Until I took it up again and I read it and I was like, shit, everything, we did everything on plan or just ahead of plan. It was really, I mean, looking at it, it's like, we're at this level and everything just happened. Wow. Um, and then we said, okay, let's sit down again over a couple because of glasses of wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you do it again yeah. and you renew it and you just push your boundaries forward. And stuff just keeps on happening when you do this. Uh, and I think there is something behind it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I got the idea from reading Napoleon Hill. I was going to ask yeah. if you could recommend it's some... It's a Think and Grow Rich uh, with yes. Napoleon Hill. I had that at home. I haven't gotten to it yet. Oh, you but need it's, to read it. It's a classic, right? Yeah, it is a classic. Yeah, yeah. There is a whole story behind that yeah. one. But it's the, <laughs> that, is, that is a classic. And I got the idea from then. I listened to, I think it was podcast with Tony Robbins, where yeah. he talked about NLP how your mind works, how you neuro-linguistic programming. Pro- linguistic programming. programming, yeah. How you could program yourself. You, the, he calls it priming. Yeah. It's the same trick as a magician does mm. when he asks you to kind of come up with a number. They often prime you. Yes. You just don't know you're being primed. Yes. But um, so priming is, in Napoleon Hill's books, it's all about writing down your 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 mission statement or you lay it in the morning you say it in the afternoon you write it down you put it on inside of every cupboard you have we we did the same with our goal so we did this kind of like okay the five different swimming lanes with the goals one year three year five year ten year and we put that on the inside of every cupboard at home a, a goal becomes really effective if you dare to communicate it so we, we have that now, in, like in our home. This is, so the next thing I had was I want to be a board member on a board for a company that I didn't been connected with. And now I am, which is really, I mean, I'm learning a lot from that as well. Great experience. Uh, so we have all these goals in there. The, the idea comes from that. And if you really work with it, and I think the key here is that you sit down, you discuss it. Because for us, this was when we wanted to have our second kid, we understood that career for both of us. Mm is going to be a lot of work. And I just admire everybody that just do two careers at the same time with more than one kid. It's hard. But we decided that let's do it in a different way. Let's sit down and see what we want to do. Let's not say that my career is more important than her or anything in the opposite, but just what do we want to do? And at that time she said, I want to be home with the kids. And then we decided, okay, I'll try and just go for a career and she'll try and be home with the kids as much as possible. So that was what we decided. And if you do that, you take away all these unnecessary fighting. Exactly. Just clarifying. Yeah. Just takes away. It takes away that unnecessary, like, you should be picking up the kids. You should be doing that. You should be doing that. Or who's paying this this time? Or 
it just takes everything away, which it makes it life so much smoother and you can focus on the right stuff. Having that reference point. But you, you need to keep it simple. Like I said, keep it simple. We're drawing some pictures, really works. We understand exactly what it means mm-hmm. and just keep moving that time frame forward. How often do you do it? Probably do it once a year. Once a year. Yeah. What's uh, like, uh, if you want to share a current goal that you have personally? Um, I have, so for me, I have this long-term vision or we have this long-term vision of being invested in different companies we could not be working in, but really being, like I said, a thought leader, but then supporting people yeah, instead yeah. of just driving stuff. Mm. I don't know when this is. It's probably on our 10 year down the line. Um, that's a goal we have. I have, like you, a lot of business ideas in my head and I just want people to take them and do something with them. Mm, yeah. It's, it, this guy I met again this weekend, he said, what I'm most proud of is making other people rich. Because he always gave away parts of his companies when his leadership team came in. And I think that's a beautiful way of putting it because if I can make other people rich, like in 10 or five or three or seven, I don't know, companies, that's on my tenure. I think that's what makes you a great leader as well. I started reflecting, looking back. That's how learnability started. Yeah. I started reflecting and looking back at my journey. What have I enjoyed the most? And it's actually seeing people develop yeah. themselves. It's, it's amazing, really right? that. So I'm thinking, okay, I work with communication. How can I scale that potentially? But that is what you're doing right now. And I think that's great because, I mean, when you were talking about this platform with me, yeah. I could see myself like, ah, oh, this is great. What if I had this idea? Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. But, but that is such a great idea because that's, you get most amount of joy in seeing yes. other people growing. Definitely. So I can relate and connect yeah. back to a lot of yeah. what you've said here and finding, writing down what is, what is my pros and cons, is strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. And right now I feel quite aligned, really aligned yeah. with my uh, passion, um, what I'm passionate about, yeah. basically. And that reduces stress, right? Definitely. Yeah, it, does, it makes me more effective yeah. in the actual work. Uh, there, there, are some, there are some things that makes you better at, at your job. One thing is reducing stress. Yeah. And I think the most powerful way of reducing stress is knowing exactly what you're doing, yes. doing, what you want, and actually just working with the stuff you're passionate about. That's reducing stress a lot. The other thing is getting into flow. There's a lot of books around getting into the flow state. But I think if, you, if you're passionate about something, you reduce the stress, and then there's many tricks you can use to kind of go into how you come into flow. Because when you get into flow, you're being more creative. You're opening other parts of your brain, and you're, you're kind of, you start working really fast, mm-hmm. and you, you probably feel this sometimes. You get locked into something. You yes. look at the time, like, oh, crap, I missed yeah. lunch. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, without noticing. But that's when you're most productive, and that's when you do your best work. That's when you're in that flow state. So I think that finding out where you want to go, identifying what you need to do, what you're really passionate about, and then getting into that flow state as much as possible, that's how you're most effective as a person. But that's hard. The more you work in an organization, that's hard. If, if that organization don't put you in focus, the individual in focus. Exactly. That, the modern organizations, they do that. Forward thinking. Yeah. They understand that it's all about people. Yeah. It's not actually anything about the business. It's all about the people. Because if the people are enjoying themselves and doing what they believe that they're passionate about, just do that. Yeah. And you just connect them. You kind of plug them in. Play Lego. I really become happy when I see uh, companies realizing this more and more. Yeah. And 
some of them need to take this because it's not very concrete sometimes or it's a, it can see, be seen as fluffy. Yeah. But you can actually show the numbers now, like why diversity yeah. increases profit yeah. or learnability can increase profit yeah. as well. It's going to be interesting. I think a lot right now about how the organization of the future will look like. Yeah. I, I don't have an, an answer to it, but I just know that what everybody's doing now is wrong in my mind. Yeah. The way it's structured. Yeah. I mean, hierarchy organizations yeah. or, or if you have um, kind of structured layering or if you have um, like one vertical function and then a horizontal category or so that type of, I don't believe that's going to work in the future. I think the future, it needs to be so much more open. Yeah. Like a networking organization. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't really, yeah. adaptable. I don't really understand how that should work, but I think that's the future. I mean, the one that can kind of crack that nut on yeah. how, how you empower a network to work for a common goal. Mm. It's a little bit like a UN or, or any, any like um, philanthropic society or something that they, they they are a network and they work towards one common goal one joint vision if you can get a company to work in that way that i think is when you're going to become really profitable i think the trick in that or the, the key solution will be in gathering data of what everyone is doing yeah. and getting you get insight into what everyone is doing what everyone is good at uh, and what everyone is interested in. Yeah. And you can just be in the background sort of nudging or optimizing. Yeah. And then, then you don't have to, to take somebody's, all of somebody's time. Exactly. Because then they could work on different companies, just do what they're good at. And then you just take that into the company yeah. and just put it together. I, I mean, I, I, I figure, I think about that a lot. Yeah. How would this work? Because when you see people now that are in really kind of structured environments, you can see that some of them are not thriving in those environments. And it can be a mental strain. Yeah. Not being close or taking steps yeah. towards your personal yeah. fulfillment. So my last question. Yes. What are you eager to learn within the near future? I want to understand more how, how networking works between people. Goes into the organizational stuff, but also between just between people, how we can utilize networks more. Um, I'm trying in, in, in my role right now, I tend to have access to people that didn't really listen to me before. Mm. It's a bit silly, but it, sometimes it has to do with the title, which oh, is yeah. really, really silly. But I, I try to meet as much people as I can from within the business and without the, outside the business, outside the industry even. To, understand, to listen to them, to understand what they're doing. Mm. Because from that, I get more insights to what I can do. And I think if you could structure that network in a great way, because I'm, sometimes I'm getting great ideas, sometimes I'm not. Mm. I want to structure my work in that area to expand my own kind of horizon and, and be better myself, both business-wise and personally. And I think that's something that I want to understand more, how I could be more effective in networking. Very good goal. And I hope to have you back on the podcast yeah. and hear <laughs> when I learn more about yeah, my networking yeah, skills. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> it would be a pleasure. Yeah, cool. Thank you very much. This Thank was you so much fun. You've been listening to the Learnability Podcast, and I'm your host, Innocent Muginga. If you want to contribute to the platform or find previous episodes and additional material, you can do that at learnability.online. Learnability.online. And oh yeah. Don't forget to subscribe.